Hello, everybody. This is a Bill Bennett Show special feature, Defense of Western Civilization. Conrad Black, Victor Davis Hanson, and I, Bill Bennett, defend Western civilization through the lens of current events. Conrad Black is an author, columnist, and media contributor. Victor Davis Hanson is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute. His focus is classics and military history. Gentlemen, holy smokes, we're what, about 70 days into the Biden administration? I'm trying to think of the best analogy or parallel. Maybe I spent too much time in the fraternity college, but it feels like a fraternity party. Hey, let's get more beer. You know, but we got plenty of beer. Well, go get some more. We may need some more. You know, this party's going to, what the heck is going on? The spending? Well, that's the fiscal side of it. But, but I mean, what about the dishonest response on issues like the southern border? Where you, you can't believe a word an official of the administration says. I think with Obama, because he won electoral college by uh, the same margin, basically, that Trump had done. And he had a supermajority in the Senate in 2009 and a substantial lead in the House. They expected him to be ambitious, and he did with health care and overreach. But what's weird about this revolution is there's no popular constituency for it. All of these issues from immigration to shutting down energy don't poll 50 percent. He doesn't have really much of a lead at all six or seven seats in the House, the Senate's deadlocked, 45 to 75,000 votes would have changed the Electoral College result. It was a contentious election, yet he's pushing through as if he's, as we said earlier, he's sick of being the understudy of Barack Obama. He wants to have a hardcore progressive legacy far more than good old Joe Biden from Scranton that was the moderate, moderate, uniter, transparency president. Let's talk about the border. Let me throw a thought at you guys. I was going to ask you originally, how does this end? And why doesn't he just say, you know, go back to return to Mexico, let's say in Mexico policy. But they like this. I mean, they want this to happen, don't they? Don't they want all these people to come? Well, they and want then, the votes. And, and then eventually, the eventually get the votes. Yeah. Well, I think they get the votes the day they cross the border, don't they? Because they're not, they're not going through any procedure to qualify voters. And, and they're opposed to that. And effectively in uh, House of Representatives Bill Number 1. And I agree with you. You would, you would think that this business of 17,000 unaccompanied children now in, in these holding centers, that, that they would want to claim that they had now um, uh, reversed the evil of the Nazi Trump era and were returning to a more orthodox border control. But uh, it's all against the backdrop, just to add to something that you both said, where even Bernie Sanders, and it's his program that's being enacted, uh, it isn't a Biden-Sanders unity program, it's Sanders program, even he says that he only has 35% of the Democrats, which means under 20% of the population. So, uh, I, I mean, it's somewhere the wheels come off, but I guess they don't come off until the media becomes edgy and, and stops covering for the administration. Yeah, I think he... I think he kind of miscalculated because the old rubric that he was working with was there is a Republican Party that is the party of the McCains, the Bushes and Romneys. And with a wink and nod, they would support him because they wanted cheap labor. And that's out now. There's a new Republican Party that's America first. So there's going to be zero Republican support for any initiative from now on. And then second, he thought that he was going to have a insidious 1,000, 2,000 a day. He said, come, and then he said, come, but come later, and now don't come. So he wasn't prepared for the rush. He didn't have any idea that the Mexican president with a sort of snarky little half comment would say he's the migrant president, the president of El Salvador, didn't, was opposed. So he thought that he would be a hero to all of these Latin American countries and nations, their birth rates are sort of leveling off and they're not so sure it's such a good thing to drain their youthful male manpower uh, to the United States as much as they used to. So the world has changed, but Joe Biden hasn't. And I think he's going to pay a, a, a big political price because I don't know how you stop it. Because he wants to stop it. That, that Again, that back to my I don't question. think he does. Because, I think because he sees this as votes eventually, right? He sees it as votes, but he's trying to weigh, on the one hand, the immediate downside uh, that might endanger his other programs. Uh, and he wants the other programs, which can be everything from ending the filibuster to D.C. statehood, on and on. Endangering that versus the upside that down the road, uh, there's going to be a new constituency with amnesties. But in the short term, I don't see any upside at all. I was thinking that because this is not popular, even though it might serve their long term purpose in terms of votes, that this would spill over Victor Conrad into his other initiatives because this is hurting him politically or will be 
this would hurt his efforts on voting rights and filibuster and, and other things. Is that what you're saying, Victor? It, it is, but, and Conrad's written about this, and we've discussed it. I'm not sure, I can't calibrate the, the role of nihilism. And by that, I mean, maybe Joe Biden doesn't really care about anything okay. other than okay. getting through uh, all of these initiatives through reconciliation or 51 votes or getting the parliamentarian of the Senate to bend the rules. And he just says, you know what, I'm going to get all of them. And I don't care what the people think. I don't care how unpopular there will be a way. And I don't need any political constituencies or bipartisanship because in the next two years, I'm going to remake America in a way that Obama can only dream of. That's a very nihilistic thing to say, but I think that's it's a pretty accurate characterization. And he covers it in this misapplied admiration of, of FDR, who was yeah. a great president, but he but he wasn't a nihilist. Yes. But what I was going to say is there is there is still, despite the inroads Trump made, heavy inroads in working class Democratic votes, there's still a lot of working class Democratic voters, and every new yes. illegal unskilled worker who comes in is basically a threat to an existing job held by a voting Democrat. I mean, he's got to take LBJ's old phrase. There's a front lash and a backlash here. And, and uh, I mean, he, he fine, he'll, he'll get the votes from these illegal entrants or questionable entrants. But but he, he is, he's not going to do wonders for his popularity with that old constituency that for 40 years he was a representative of, the sort of Scranton, Pennsylvania voter. And what happened to the Congressional Black Caucus? <laughs> Remember, we're in a pandemic, so it's another one of these instances where everybody else, and that's the independent professional upscale middle-class voters very carefully, even though I think the lockdowns should be over now, should have been over a long time ago, they still abide by them. And then they turn on the television and they see glimpses of thousands of people coming from Latin America that's in an epidemic. Mexico has not been accurately reporting the deaths that may be as many as 300,000. These people are coming in without uh, COVID tests. Yeah about proper social distance, all the things that we, that particular constituent said is has to be necessary in which the Trump voter, the deplorables violated, you know, at the Trump rallies, but the Trump rallies make this thing look like, you know, they were safe compared to what this is. So it really undermines the whole progressive approach to a pandemic when you just completely exempt an entire group of people who aren't even U.S. citizens. So when Tom Cotton says, Senator Cotton says, as we've all heard him, there are three things he can do, you know, mostly go back to the um, remain in Mexico policy. That would assume that he's interested in solving it. And what we're saying here is either for reasons of nihilism or pure political calculation, he's not interested in solving it or addressing it or stopping it. But, but if so, and that may be true, but if so, it is only because he has the luxury of a rapidly supportive press. But is the media going to stick with this? I mean, it's a levitation. I mean, I, I will be the last person, even on this distinguished group, to defend the American national political media. I think the performance has been a disgrace. It's been yeah. a monstrous moral bankruptcy and a betrayal of, of the, every standard of professionalism. Speaking of someone who, in my time, has employed thousands of journalists in right. four continents. But even this media is not going to go down with the ship. I don't. But am I dreaming? Ted Cruz is doing the Washington Post's job. You notice? Yes. I mean, you know, he's in there trying to take pictures and someone from the administration trying to stop him. They want to be retreated respectfully. That's what yeah. I remember the, the woman when the mask was hassling Senator yeah. Cruz saying, we want to be I, treated respectfully. I think we're kind of in a Katrina situation where we can think of all the reasons, whether it's nihilism or incompetency or... And they're all valid. But once these things get started, you know, George Bush, he was unfairly blamed for a lot of things with Katrina, but his optics were initially bad. And then when the situation deteriorated, there wasn't much you could do at that point with the mayor of of, Louisa, of New Orleans and the, and the governor of Louisiana. And I think the same things happened. If Joe Biden wanted to do everything what you and I are conservatives advocated right now, I don't think you could stop it right now. It's such a tidal wave and it would require a level of coercion and discipline and enforcement of the law that would be antithetical to his entire base. And I don't think he can stop it. And I think it's going to play out until people in Latin America, either governments in Latin America, Central America, Mexico say, you know, you can't come anymore. Or there's just so many people that they themselves decide that it's not a good idea. So I don't think we're even at the halfway point yet. 
then we're we're back to a million of these people a year coming in. Victor, yeah, you yeah, just flooding so. in. Yeah, I think so. It's happened before. We we saw that in, at the turn of the millennium. It seems to me, starting with Georgia, very belatedly, that the the Republicans are making their comeback on the on the matter of how you count votes in the states, and they are starting to pick up after the changes that were put in legally or otherwise constitutionally or otherwise by the democrats in a number of the swing states and 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 so they're 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 starting to stabilize on that front and, and counterattack so that the admission of these this torrent of people across the border in a in the manner we, we've described and it's notorious it, it may not actually even produce the harvest of votes they expect or I mean, again am i sitting here in canada in a fairyland dream world imagining optimistic things that won't happen no i think it's going to it's provoking a reaction and what we don't know is how big and when the reaction is going to come but you're right there's going to be a reaction that's going to be expressed in you know, a public support for a more careful enforcement of voting rules. But there's another wild card at the left. I wasn't a big fan of the George W. Bush idea that you let people come in and then traditional values of the Hispanic community would automatically kick in and they would become instant conservative voters, not after being nurtured on federal assistance from the left. But there is something to that Cuban matrix. And I'm thinking 35, 36% of the Hispanic vote voted for Trump. And most polls show that about 45 to 50 percent of Mexican-Americans and other so-called Latinos don't support open borders. And so what would be ironic is that this whole flood comes in and your middle class Mexican-American voter or Latino whose children don't speak Spanish, who are in high schools that like they like the advanced placement. They don't want to be a community that's flooded with people from Central America, especially gang members. Uh, non-English speakers in, in vast uh, need of legal law enforcement, educational, political subsidies, healthcare that endanger social service. And I'm just speaking academically, but empirically here in the Central Valley. And I can yes, tell you what, that already people are getting very upset. You know, they're thinking, wow, we're short COVID shots. I saw somebody at Home Depot uh, yesterday. He said, hey, Victor, we can't get COVID shots. And are they going to give COVID shots there? And he said, and I didn't know this. He said, San Diego is educating kids that are illegal. They're going to have yeah. a program, but we don't, our, schools are, our schools aren't was, open. Why do they treat them better? And this is a Mexican American guy telling me I know, that I know. Mexican nationals have a better deal than he does. No, no, that's, that's my beat. And uh, yeah, it's spring break and uh, teachers, in the San Diego union school district, the district I know very well, uh, volunteered to teach these um, illegals in person, in person, in person. And nobody in the only 6,000 of the, what, 150, 200,000 kids in San Diego, USD, uh, are in person. So quite, quite extraordinary. There is a difference, though, isn't there, Victor? Someone told me once shorthand. Well, it makes a difference whether the Hispanics you're talking about are in Florida, Cubans, mm-hmm. or whether they're Mexicans or other Central Americans in Texas or California. Texas seems to do the best job. Uh, in terms of turning people toward uh, traditional American values, but which you just reported from the Central Valley may contradict. Does it make a difference? Traditionally here in California in the 70s and 80s, people who came, whether legally or illegally, came from northern Mexico, and they had a greater propensity to have a diploma and some knowledge of English. Mm -hmm. But at the millennium, with the collapse of the Mexican economy, we had indigenous people from the Yucatan area, Chiapas, uh, especially Oaxaca. We have a lot of stores in town. They're called the Oaxaca market, Mm -hmm. the Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. And as I said, a lot of people, their first language is not Spanish. And they came at a time when the assimilationist confidence, integration, intermarriage was waning here. And so when you combine those two forces of indigenous people who were subject to enormous discrimination and poverty in Mexico, they don't have skills, they don't have a high school diploma, they don't speak English, and sometimes they don't read Spanish. And you come up at a time when the host has no confidence in assimilation. It became, in California, an explosive dynamic. And then, of course, people looked at 
They said, no more Reagan, no more Pete Wilson, no more George Dickmasian, no more Arnold Schwarzenegger, no more Republican uh, majorities in either house of the legislature, no Republican statewide. And this paradigm works in Nevada, it works in Colorado, it works in New Mexico, it'll work in Texas, Georgia, and Arizona. And that's what they're thinking. And I don't, there are, you know, there, there's some weaknesses in that, but I think that's what they're thinking. They being the left that, okay. that wants us to continue. One other aspect of this, let me ask you, Kamala, what's going on there? She got the job, but she didn't take that job. She's doing root causes, I guess, and putting streetlights in Guatemala. She's doing um, diplomacy, not uh, not border. Are you surprised how helpless she seems at this point? I am not. I have always thought that woman was an absolute chucklehead. When she ran for uh, the nomination, and remember, she folded completely before they got to the Very quickly, yeah. Uh, her answer to every single question, no matter what it was, was we want a national conversation. Well, no, we don't want a national conversation, Senator. We want an answer. And 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 that's why she flamed out. And I, why should she be any smarter now than she was last year? It's always a point. I remember that she started by dating Willie Brown, who appointed her to state boards and then got his machine to get her elected city attorney and then state attorney general. She didn't... I, I may be incorrect, correct me, Conrad or Bill, but I don't think she got one delegate in the primary. Yeah. She no, failed. Well, she didn't last to the primary. She yeah. folded yeah, before she the did. primary. In February, she quit. And, and she had a lot of Silicon Valley money. So she's not a very good... So I think, you're, get back to your question, Bill, I think the Bidens were saying, uh, you know, you appeal to the disadvantaged, marginalized community, go to it. And that was not necessarily an uh, invitation uh, to en- enhance uh, her stature. So identity identity politics bites, right? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I think they're tired of leaks coming from her staff that Joe Biden has forgotten something or he's not, because I think a lot of them are coming from the Harris team. But but her only qualification was she was an African-American woman. She ticked the two big boxes and that was it, wasn't it? She's a Jamaican-American and she's an Indian-American and she was the daughter of two PhDs and grew up pretty affluent for all of her complaints about being yeah. bust and all that. And went to school in Montreal and her, and her comments about uh, poor schooling or nonsense. She went to w- one of the best schools in Montreal. I got right, a question wanna, for you, Conrad, wanna, real quickly. Do you know in American history, any vice president that in the past called the president under which he, she serves uh, both a racist and a sexual uh, offender? And she's done both with, with Joe Biden in the case of Tara Reid and uh, on his early support for what she called busing and against and increased drugs. I can't think of any vice president no. that, that was asked to be asked to be in the administration that called her boss both racist no. and a uh, sexual predator, I guess. Uh, the closest I could come, and it's a long distance, was uh, George Bush Sr. saying that Reagan was proposing voodoo economics. <laughs> That's a long way. That's yeah, a long, long way. But, it, but yeah. it's still the closest. I mean, you know, uh, Mr. Yeah. Nixon never said anything disrespectful of Eisenhower. Even yeah. LBJ never said anything disrespectful no, of Kennedy. He, he I want to change topics. This was a topic that uh, Victor suggested, and I think it's brilliant. And I took it and ran with it and did some research, Victor. Victor said, um, whatever happened to the Never Trumpers? So it turns out, without naming names, you guys know I was in the cabinet a couple of positions, and I had a lot of people who worked for me, um, Republicans, who, uh, as it turned out, became Never Trumpers. I guess most famously, Bill Kristol, who was my chief of staff. And so it wasn't Bill, but I talked to a couple of Never Trumpers who used to work for me, people with whom I was close, yesterday, just to kind of take their temperature. And um, what I got was from sophisticated people, pretty much what we saw in a recent poll. Remember this poll that came out about what what are your priorities? Republicans said priorities were uh, immigration and election integrity, election reform. Uh, The... Uh, biggest concern of Democrats was not racists or white supremacists, but Trump voters. So, so I said, well, what are you, what are you doing now that you're never Trump? Or what are you doing? And the first answer I got was very esteemed man. You would all know his name said, well, I still abhor Trump. Well, what the hell does that have to do with anything? You know, I still abhor Trump. And then I said, can we run through a few issues? And again, this is a, you know, kind of a rhino, kind of a country club Republican. Agreed that he was right on China, agreed about Jerusalem, agreed that he had the border pretty much under control. They got the economy going, he increased the 
for support from black and Hispanic uh, voters that uh, the country was doing very well. Uh, what do you, what do you feel about Biden? And well, I'm for him. Why? Because I abhor Trump. I asked this guy, did you contribute to I, maybe a nasty shot? I said, did you contribute to the Lincoln Project? He said, oh, yeah, I, I did. Sorry about that. And I contributed to virtually everything that was going on. That's not a sample, but the plural of anecdote is not data. But Victor, you have you have more to say on this. But I found this really quite unbelievable. Smart, sophisticated guy with all the right degrees saying his best answer was, what are you doing now? You know, you're not, never Trump. You got to find a new job was I abhor Trump. How long can you live like that? Not, it's, the, it's the departure lounge. I mean, that's what they're saying now, but, but they'll have to come up with something eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, but you, can't, can't get ten, you can't get tenure for that. I mean, you no. know. It reminds me of the, the Iliad. Uh, remember when Patroclus is killed and all the Trojans <laughs> bravely come up and stab his corpse? Yeah. And this is what they're doing with Trump. But, you know, the funny thing about it is that uh, every group, has an identity crisis now. They're orphaned from any, bar- they don't have any existence, right. but it's the Lincoln project. As soon as Trump is gone, we find out the underbelly of that rotten project. As soon as MSNBC, he's gone, MSNBC and CNN have an, uh, a ratings fall. We don't see Pelosi so animated anymore. They don't have a reason to exist because there was no agenda. And then just very briefly, I think the never Trumpers have veered into two camps, both very small. The one found themselves crossing the Rubicon and they said, you know what? The bulwark people knows we can't go back. We've on record that we've renounced every position that we used to hold dear, whether it was energy development or secure borders or skepticism of identity, Paul, all of that, we're now on board in our hatred of Trump and we've got to go and we're now Democrats. I think the Bulwark, that's that new publication. Yeah, and Bill, you know, Bill Crystal said that he was for D.C. statehood, I think. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, so that group, and then there's the other, and I think those are people in the Dispatch and the National Review, and, and they're thinking, wow, Trump is gone now, and we thought good old Joe Biden from Scranton was going to be a moderate and unite and be transparent and work for the middle class like he said he was and he continues to say he is but he's not he's the most radical left wing he's destroying the little sisters of the poor he's going after mm-hmm. uh right to lifers he's going after everything dear to us and so now after empowering that agenda because of our hatred of trump we're going to spend every living moment attacking Biden with one important qualifier. There can be no connection between what we wrote before January 20th and what we write afterwards. There's no cause and effect. In other words, we don't believe that our particular constituency that was irrelevant in 2016 might have been very relevant in 2020, that swing rhino voter, because the numbers were so critical, 75,000 of them, 50,000. They could have made a difference maybe, but they're not going to ever mention that. All they're going to do is if we all have amnesia and suddenly they're back to 2015, 2014. And that's who yeah. the two groups are. And it's one either... good fight after another to them. They think yeah, they yeah. were right to oppose Trump and now the right to oppose Biden. At least yeah. hypocrisy and dunk, though that is, in fact, it, it is superior to the to Absolutely. the to the others who've gone to the left. I mean, this no, work. No. I actually read a copy of it. Yes. It is a left-wing publication. It's I mean, paid for by the left-wing Amador, the, the owner of PayPal. Yeah. So I, I think they're on a leash and they have no, even if they wanted to be independent thinking, they're not able to, given their paymaster. Did you have dust-ups with them? I did. I had several. During uh, well, period. you know, I, I wrote on 9-11. I wrote a bi-weekly column for eight years and a weekly column for the next 11. I didn't miss one date. And so I was very attached to all of them. And then in 2016, I noticed that maybe Conrad and maybe me were the only people that were writing for them. And Conrad can correct me if there were others. Kyle Smith, maybe sometimes. They had a very brilliant guy that I don't know, David Harsani, who came. And we we were offering a different view and they were civil. And then, although I did say, I did notice that over the last 20 years, I'd probably been attacked by almost everybody that writes there, at least eight or nine of them. But nevertheless, after uh, Trump was in power, then 
I never thought that the National Review would say that Devin Nunes needs a step down from the House Intelligence Committee. Yeah. I never yeah. thought that people in the National Review would, you know, tweet that the Covington kids were culpable. Oh, or, my God. Yeah, or yeah. I never thought in the National Review there would be an article when Trump, the last day of Trump in office, an article was published called The Ape in the Helicopter. I never thought that a writer in the aftermath of the death of Rush Limbaugh, the creator of conservative talk radio, maybe all of talk radio, but somebody would say that his legacy was in many ways pernicious. So I left very amicably. I just said, I don't think we have much in common. They still have my syndicated column for a few more weeks and then the contract runs out. I'm in splendid isolation there now. I've remained at a loyalty. I think that's good that you're doing that, Conrad. I really and in, in fact, I must say they've been very courteous to me, but I, 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 I feel that I'm complete voice in the wilderness there. Yeah. Well, I my argument was with Rich, particularly, and not on Trump directly, but on articles I wrote about uh, COVID uh, and about lockdowns and questioning the value of lockdowns early on. Ridicule. Uh, Seth Liebson and I were ridiculed uh, for saying price of these lockdowns may be greater than the good that they're doing. It was unusual. I mean, I've known Rich for years and, and like him, but just the, the um, ferocity of the, of the uh, reaction was, uh, was, yeah. was off-putting, very surprising. It's hard to make the argument. I mean, it's a, such a volatile situation, but I think the Scott Atlas argument that yeah. Florida and Texas uh, saved their economies to a far greater degree than did New York and California, and they had no worse fatality rates per million than did California and much better than New York and New Jersey. Yeah, and, and, so, and look at the comparative status of the governors of those states. Yes. Uh, is is uh, Newsom going to get the high jump out there, Victor? Yeah. Uh, if the election was held today, I think he'd be recalled because he's lost the support, not just of the independent, but of his ethnic uh, middle-class base. A lot of entrepreneurs, landscapers, people have small little restaurants that were locked down. Uh, they want their kids in the public schools. If you're lower middle class and you can't find daycare, you can't work. They see all the hypocrisies of his kids in prep schools, his winery, wine testing room was open, the French laundry sorted mess. But uh, what's happening is California is getting, and I don't think anybody's written about it. We're getting, I don't know if it's deliberate or what, but we're getting a massive number of allotted vaccinations. And we're getting close to 350,000 vaccinations uh, a day and almost over 2 million per week. And those who have had one shot, you know, we're up to 16, 17 million. We've had 4 million that have had it, probably another 4 million that uh, were asymptomatic or didn't even know they had it. And then probably another 6 million under the age of 12. And you add all of these groups up at the rate we're being vaccinated. And then you look at the daily caseload, it's gone from, you know, five or 6,000. Some days it's down to, to four or 500. And then the death rate is down to 80, 70 in a state of 40 million. What I'm getting at in a windy fashion is that I think in a month, if this is continues, we're going to have almost, we can declare victory over COVID unless some mutant strain turns out to be resistant. But once Newsom said, you know what, Blue Shield's going to turn it over to, you want a Johnson, go to CVS. You want a Moderna, go to Rite Aid. You want, you know, a Pfizer, you go to uh, Walgreens. And it just opened it up. And uh, so people are getting vaccinated at a furious rate. And a lot of, and I think it's going to drop. And then with the, we've talked about this before, among ourselves, with the pinup demand, this enormous stimulus, funny money, $30 trillion in aggregate now, we're going to get a booming short-term stimulus. So I think that Newsom is in a couple of weeks or three weeks, he's going to say, I broke the back of the COVID and I brought prosperity to, to the state. And my friend, Marty McCary, you guys have seen him from Johns Hopkins, um, says, you know, this is a April... Uh, spring is uh, spring is coming uh, april love but you know you said it's gonna open up did you see that the head of cdc new head of cdc said she had a sense of impending doom yes which the president is echoing yeah, yeah. well i i mean they like do they like it? i don't mean they like it but it gives them control which is what they want no, i think they do more, like power, more control 
I, I think I think they're like a, an old time stuck record where where they, they they still want to pound Trump for mismanaging it, even though, in fact, uh, everything that Victor just said is really due to Trump, uh, you know, the development of the vaccines. Guy who has a job that I used to have, the Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, from Connecticut, um, says he's not going to commit the schools will open this fall. Now think about that. It'll be a year and a half for these kids. Bill, as the former secretary, is that just more groveling capitulation yeah. of corrupt teachers unions or is more, there something else behind it? Uh, to use a phrase, it's more groveling capitulation to the teachers union. No, it's crazy. It's not science. It's crazy. And... um these kids, my God, a year and a half. Conrad mentioned uh, the media, and we've talked about that on email. And I think we're in the midst of the Biden vaccination program, the Biden gradual opening up of the yeah. schools. Yeah. And yeah. that ended the Trump re- and the Biden boom and recovery has ended the Trump recession, has ended the Trump lockdown and ended the Trump pandemic. And that's the narrative that they're all trying to shape. Well, let's go back to the media. Will they turn will they finally do their job will some of them finally do we had one person at that press conference Kristen welker who did ask some tough questions uh the rest of it was soft but aren't they interested in blood and guts and story they're interested in self-preservation i i ultimately i mean i think they're going to realize they simply can't go down to this ship but am i wrong in attaching some significance to uh, leslie stall at cbs or you know getting into the into the uh the origins of the coronavirus the way she did. I mean, I thought that was the first time in 10 years I've seen CBS do anything that, that, that made any sense. I, I just look at the history, Bill and Conrad. And so I asked myself, the media's attitude toward Biden is what it was toward Obama. And then even the most humiliating moments when Biden, for example, surveilled the Associated Press reporters, did they get angry? When he weaponized the IRS against every doctrine of transparency they believe did they get angry did they get angry when he weaponized the fbi the cia the doj with it they didn't and it it all is encapsulated by what when trump was elected there were three really interesting statements jim rutenberg at the new york times remember said that traditional journalism as we have known it doesn't exist because there's such a climate change crisis and uh, all sorts of human rights issues you can't be neutral then jorge ramos said because of immigration and Trump's uh, barbaric attitude and hatred and racism, you cannot be a neutral journalist. And then I think it was Christian Amanpour said, the planet is, it's very yeah. existence. No yeah. journalism as we've known it exists. We have to be partisans to stop this existential yeah. threat. And yeah, but, how, also, I think they, but also, Victor, Obama got a free ride for obvious reasons as the first non-white person. And yeah. I, I can understand that. I mean, yeah. look, it was a great thing. I mean, you yeah. know, it was a great thing in the abstract. I don't think he was a good president, but eliminating one's pigmentation as a reason for, for voting is a good thing. But, and, and so there was some excitement about him. He wasn't yeah. a kind of dynamic yeah. guy. I mean, Biden is yeah. not a dynamic man. But, I don't, I don't want but it's, to, but it's the program, isn't it? It's the program. It, it, yeah. It doesn't matter what we think because they don't listen to us, but what do the people who get this favorable treatment think of the media? I'm going back now to Ben Rhodes who said they literally know nothing. We created an echo chamber on the Iran deal. Remember that weird guy named, I think his name was Jonathan Gruber. He was yeah. the uh, Obamacare yeah. advisor. Remember, he had that panel where he said the American people are pretty stupid yeah. and you can put everything with the media over on them. Yeah. And I think that what I'm getting at is I think the Biden, when you listen to I'll circle back with Jim Psaki, I think they have utter contempt because they know the media better than we do. They're intermarried in that beltway culture. Sure. If you look at so, but somebody works for CBS, somebody works at NBC, sure. Ben Rhodes' but, brother at one time ran CBS. They're all incestuous and they, it's a family business. It's like the mafia, I think. 85% of people don't believe us in the media. I mean, at some point, doesn't this, doesn't this show in the fragmentation of market, the collapse of franchises, the disintegration of the economic value of the enterprise? Well, let me just I add think- on to that. Does it show in 2022? That is, does the message get through? Does it come through the vents? Not from it, them, it doesn't. Not it from comes, them, but does it come otherwise? From, it comes from people's blogs, from talk radio, from okay. hopefully podcasts like this. Okay. Okay. We're trying to get the message out, but we're got, we're not up just against monopolies. We're 
against the most staggering level of wealth we've ever seen in the history of civilization. There's never been fortunes like Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple. But you don't see, I said Krista Welker, I thought, decently, you don't see at the next press conference maybe two reporters being more aggressive to Biden, or maybe three. You don't see it gradually. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, will they let them in? I mean, don't, don't they decide who comes in? Don't they? I mean, basically, they, they have a, a gallery of, uh, of, of, of flats and hacks, don't they? I mean, yeah, they, well, they have they, a list. They have a list, and he calls on them in, in the order yes. in which it's written. And, you believe, and his answers build, are written out in order, too. Do you believe they're going to suddenly allow journalists to go down to the quote-unquote pods or cages or whatever they are and walk through there and interview people? I don't No, know. but somebody will do what Cruz did. There'll yes. be more people smuggling out to, yes. you know, shots. But they won't come from the left-wing media, though. No, no, no. Staggering to me. I mean, at some young, enterprising leftist who nevertheless wants the truth gets his way to texas and forces his way in with a camera there's not one it's a little off topic but since we're talking about the media remember the carjacking that happened early in the week with the two teenage african-american girls the pakistani you had all that was an intersectional for the left that was an intersectional crime but what happened was not only the mayor of washington but even the media and their twitter mob contextualized that as just an accident and there was no culpability or cause and effect. And or they said, I think it was Juan Williams even said it was a joyride. And other than two people tasered somebody and it was an act of theft and they intentionally endangered him by, you know, having him hanging on the door and they killed yeah, him. Killed him. And then they went in to retrieve the evidence. But the media didn't cover that at all. Yeah. No. And the, so what the mayor said, yeah, she said, be careful, be careful. How about protecting us from criminals? Yeah. It's a cost analysis, benefit to cost. I think they feel every story either benefits a progressive agenda or it doesn't. I want some good news. I want some good news. Well, the good news is gradually these things, these outrages that we're talking about will create a cumulative resistance in the public. I mean, no one surely thinks the entire American public has turned to mush. They haven't. Uh, there are all sorts of odd things have happened and and the country is in a confused and disconcerted state but they haven't given up on the idea of america they haven't given up on basic things like the media are supposed to report the facts and separate reporting from comment and 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 the architects of public policy are supposed to do sensible things this from the same man we we can kid on this show he knows what's coming this from the same man who said to me before november surely bill the American people have not turned to sufficient mush that they will elect this guy. I, think I, I, I tend to be optimistic with Conrad for this reason. I think a lot of these things, although they're political and social, a lot of it was intensified by this crazy, we've never had a year-long quarantine. I don't know any society in history yeah. that's had a year-long yeah. quarantine. Yeah. And then the, the fear of the unknown and COVID and China, all of that perfect storm, I think, made people a little stir crazy. And now that we're seeing a dramatic drop in the caseloads, and we are over, not over just this week, but over the last month, and the death rate is going down, the hospitalization rate is going down, and the economy is starting to revive. I think there's going to be people who are going to wake up out of this slumber and say, you know what, this has been some kind of surreal experience that we've never, the, the country went absolutely collectively mad yeah. and we can't blame them because they were stuck in their kids were in their apartments and there was yeah, no, no school yeah, yeah, yeah. and now it's over and we'll return to normal. Uh, the other yeah. aspect was the media did succeed in whipping up scores of millions of people into believing there was an absolute raving lunatic in the White House. Now, yes. that wasn't the case, but I, I, I put it to you that we now see this process of, of falling like souffle is, is the Trump hate factor. I mean, Bill's right that the old, you know, the never Trumpers still start out. I mean, they probably wake up in the morning repeating a little mantra, but I still abhor Trump. But the point is, when he left office, he was going to be impeached. He was going to be uh, prosecuted in New York and elsewhere. Michael Cohen was having a queen for a day visit uh, to go through the catechism of suborned and invented uh, inculpatory evidence virtually every other day, all this was, which is supposed to be 
handled discreetly, was out there in the media. Uh, every bad thing was going to happen to Trump. He was an evil man who would now be prosecuted to the uttermost. It's all collapsed. It's all yeah. it's collapsed. It's, it's not happening anymore. And and uh, people will come back to to the position they were in before they became convinced that the chief occupant of the White House was a madman. Are we think, are we are you, you guys hit on two themes very important close to my heart. I just want to ask you both. Are we as good as we were on 9-11? Early on last year, I wrote a piece in which I said, you know, 9-11, we said, let's roll. With uh, COVID, we said, let's hide under the bed. Now, 9-11, we were encouraged to roll and to fight back. And every, everyone was scaring the hell out of everybody last year. Are we the same people? Still the same? Yes, it was just, it, it's a different situation. I mean, okay. the Democrats okay. saw right away the chance to I mean, Trump had a one election. He he won the election until the COVID crisis came on, yeah. and the Democrats saw right away that, that, that this was their chance to win. They they, they would force a shutdown, force a, a sort of Herbert Hoover depression, and blame it all on Trump. I agree. I, I think when the whole COVID crisis is over, forgot forget what Fauci's latest flip flop is or Burks's incoherences. How about these guys? Huh? Yeah. What I they're, did? They're very. They can't terrible. give up. This, they're going to be irrelevant in another 30 days, and they know it. They and play team so, sports. Do they ever play team no, sports? No. <laughs> but I think what's happening uh, is when we look at the billion people of an industrialized Europe that we were told had a superior paradigm in every aspect from healthcare, yeah, yeah. economics, that Trump's, you know, buying vaccinations before they were even created and then giving liability exemption, which is very risky to do, and Pfizer and Moderna and Novavax and uh, Johnson Johnson, and then ordering 500 million plus and then paying whatever the market would bear vis-a-vis the EUs. We're not going to pay more than this and we're going to go with the state approved Astra vaccine, it it just changed the paradigm. And when you look at the deaths per million now, remember, they were far worse than we, Spain, Belgium, France, Italy, and then they kind of caught up as we added in New York and New Jersey and Massachusetts and Illinois. And now what's happened, they're back again, where we're doing not only better, far better in vaccination, and our caseloads are going down, but our mortality rate is now static and theirs is climbing so when we look at the whole paradigm and then when you uh, the eu response versus the american response versus to be honest the china response in russia which we have no accurate information although we've been quoted by the left that they're doing much better i think we're going to learn they didn't they just didn't suppress information brazil and india are having problems so you know, this idea that Trump killed all these people, whatever he did, it was absolutely brilliant to invest in those vaccinations and handle them the way they did. There was no doubt about that. That's the only way to deal with it. Yeah, it was. Shutdowns, shutdowns flattened the curve as long as you kept the shutdown going. They also flattened the whole country. You walk by the TV and going getting a cup of coffee or beer, and then someone comes on, you stop, you say, I want to hear what this guy has to say. Give me a couple. Give me a couple of names. Who encourages us? George Eliot says, "Excellence is good because it encourages us about life generally." Who encourages you about political life generally? I mean, how about how about my every week guest? How lucky was I to do that for like four years? Ron DeSantis, Congressman DeSantis. How about that guy? Huh? He he, he could be, he could be the president. He could be. I think he could. He's be. He's very yes. very impressive. He fights back. He's he takes on every controversial. He's not reactive. He's preemptive. Whether it's critical race theory or oh, that was threats something. of a quarantine, he just outspoken and he's confident that you he know, can do it. You know, Vic, I like what Mike Mike Pompeo's doing lately. He's yes. trying to use his foreign policy experience and graft that onto a domestic agenda of America first and going after China relentlessly. Yeah, yeah. In, oh, in foreign policy, I'd say Cotton and Holly are both generally absolutely worth listening to. Whatever I see them, I want to listen to them, and I generally agree with them. Uh, Can I I ask you, Bill, maybe Conrad, or you could explain to me with a Christian Rome, Christine Rome in uh, South Dakota about the transgendered issue. That was one of the most poorly handled. I don't know if it's public relations or I can't still don't know how she sort of imploded on that issue because until then she was a rock star in the conservative movement. I, I, I don't know. I well, wasn't that. it the lobbying of some of these uh, big yeah. uh, employers or something? I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think she was saying that if she went down the conservative transgender line, that there will be no trans that 
the NCA or our big corporations would boycott the state. It would hurt GDP or whatever, but she didn't, I mean, that's a consideration, but that's basically saying I put, yeah. you okay. know, yeah. short-term profit over the principle. And yeah, that yeah. doesn't, you that can't put a good face on that. Anything. No, you could. Is, is there anything more bloom and obvious than boys should not be competing against girls? It's absurd. Is there anything more obvious than maybe bathrooms are more obvious? I don't know. Insanity no, here. Remember something in the night, early 60s? It was part of the JFK Goodwill, the Russian-American track and field games. Yeah. They had them at Stanford. And there were, I remember I was a little boy and my parents would take me up there. We had two days of track and we were competing with the Russians. We won all the sprints and the distance and they won all the heavy stuff. And there were two women called the Press sisters, Tamara Press, I think, and her sister. And they were obviously men and they had... Uh, female hormones injected so they had breasts but they were huge shot putters and javelin throwers and they just wiped our team and then we demanded that they have saliva tests they didn't have dna then but they were hormone tests and it was just the crowds were outraged when they went to shot put or javelin everybody at the stanford eighty thousand people in that old stadium booed 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 you can't do this this is cheating this is typical commie stuff and it was so interesting to see how that ar- that argument so changed. Uh, Victor, I always wanted to ask you this. Um, the uh, I went to Catholic school. I had five years of Latin, you know, in four years. They hate Latin, right? Because Latin yes. is a really gender-specific kind of language, it isn't is. it? I mean, it, okay. Latin and Greek both. Yeah, they're both. They're both there's, about, three, there's three genders, of course, but there's no suggestion that the neuter gender is either female or, or masculine. Yeah. No, but in, big, in that sense, it's like French and Spanish and Italian, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It is. Yeah. There's a Anybody big else? argument. We gonna... don't know why certain nouns are feminine, or there's a, all sorts of theories why a particular noun is neuter or masculine or feminine in a way that, you know, I don't know why whole politics, the no. citizen, is feminine, but it is. No, no, it, I mean, it, masculine, but it looks feminine by its uh, gender. And, and it's often different to English. I mean, I, I'm in a, I went to a French university, I'm a, in a bicultural country, and, you know, where in English we always refer to a ship as she. Yeah. In France, you're referred to it as he, you know, it's a different gender. Well, fa- Germanly is, German is a fatherland and Russia is a motherland. I don't understand. That's right. That. But it's not an it land, I guess. May I make no. one comment about yeah. Europe? Uh, it just, it just, it's taking up on what uh, Victor said about the uh, poor European performance recently in, in response to the coronavirus. Uh, I'd exempt Britain from that. I mean, they, they no, did, would too, used their own absolutely. vaccines and they're, and they're a pretty well vaccinated country. I mean, Boris had some his ups and downs, but he's managed it not too badly. Uh, but Europe itself, the, we remember the great European ideal. They were all going to stand on each other's shoulders and regain the status they had before World War One. And it, it is gradually crumbling into, in, into shambles. In Germany, the traditionally the strongest European country, uh, you've just had a series of policy disasters by this chancellor who's about to become the second longest serving after Bismarck. And, and, you know, she, she made Germany a vassal state in energy terms of Russia. She admitted a million completely unassimilable or very difficult to assimilate uh, destitute people. Out of, I don't doubt it's the best humanitarian instincts. And, and uh, she banned nuclear power. And, uh, and, and now she's made an absolute shambles of, of vaccination in Germany by surrendering it to Europe to administer within Germany. And 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 it, it really the Europeans are going to have to start all over again trying to persuade themselves and the rest of the world that they are a coherent force in the world. And the relevance of that to us, I think, is we are now apparently embarking on a direct nose-to-nose contest with the Chinese, and we should know that for, for the most part, Europe is not there. They're they're not effective. They're they're. They're not politically coherent, and they're demoralized, and they are not really a great power in the world. Britain, no. as always, will be a pretty good ally, but I wouldn't count on the rest of them for much. No, every every utopian uh, <clears throat> ideal that they lectured us about, open borders, the Shenagan Agreement, they're starting to enforce their borders. They're starting early on, whether it was then ventilators or protective equipment, countries started to hoard their own and not put it in the EU poll. Same with vaccinations now. Individual European countries are cutting deals with the Russians and the pharmaceutical companies to get their own. So I think that Germany's got 50 million 
uh, Moderna shots of its own now because it's got that that financial clout. Whereas Spain and Greece and the southern and the so-called pigs include Ireland, they they don't have that type of capital. So when it gets nitty gets down to the nitty gritty, the EU, I think Conrad and Bill, my view is it's basically Germany and Germany runs the EU. And it's it, you go to a Eastern Europe. European country. I don't think there's been dislike of Germany since right after the war, before the war. Uh, and and it, it, it suits Germany to have some weak units attached to it, like Greece, because yes. it's easier to sell Mercedes Benzes in Dallas. Yes, it is. Bring the bring the euro down. <laughs> right. But but the but uh, you're basically right. I mean, in a way, the Germans have succeeded. They've got the sort of gross Deutschland they wanted, but without. Any use yes. of coercion. I think but, a lot but, of people. But the, the, the French are not going to stick with it. The French are not going to take their orders from the Germans, right? Yeah, they or anyone else. There's one reason. <laughs> I think it was De Gaulle, and you know De Gaulle better. But when the question of nuclear uh, independence, the force de frappe, came up, uh, there were a lot of notable Frenchmen that sort of privately told American diplomats that this was. Uh, it would act independently of the United States and it would be part of the Western response to a nuclear re- attack. But there was something about it that reminded Germany that there would not be a third European war. And I think that's that's going to be okay. increasingly important that France yeah. is a nuclear country because Germany, if Germany wanted to solve the NATO problem and meet, meet the 2%, every other country would. They'd follow in step. They don't want to do that. They want to get tough with China. They all would follow the German lead. They don't want to do that. And so Germany, Germany, I just finishing this rant, uh, the recent Pew polls show that of all the European countries, it wasn't France, it wasn't Italy, it wasn't Spain that had the highest anti-American degree of uh, expression, it was Germany. Only 52% of Germans had a negative impression of the Americans. And I think countries like Britain, Spain, Italy, France, it was up to 62%, 63% approval. Germany was just completely off the... the They're having one of their churlish rebellions. I mean, there's always been... I used to meet with Chancellor Kohl sometimes, and he, he he never had confidence in Germany's ability to act alone. He always wanted it in a cocoon of responsible allies, economically and militarily. Yeah, aren't we best thought of in the world by uh, Africa? Very well, India, 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 India okay. as well. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like on Facebook, just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, this is a special feature, Defense of Western Civilization, with Conrad Black, Victor Davis Hanson, and me, Bill Bennett.